Although sin will always be a temptation, even in the Christian life, it no longer has to dictate our actions. This message is from our series, No Longer Slaves, where we are learning that we are no longer slaves to sin and death. And now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. We're entering into a new, I guess, a new set of chapters for Romans, where the first couple books, the first five books of Romans, Paul is really talking about um, what the benefits are to some degree of, of following after Christ Jesus. But now we're going to start looking in chapter six, really seven and eight, about how we are to um, see these benefits lived out through us, okay? So this is really exciting. I like this. And one of the big words that we're going to hear today, um, it's going to be echoed through, Rev, uh, not Revelation. We're not doing that book this series. Um, one of the big uh, words that we're going to hear through Romans chapter 6 is, is this word received righteousness. Let me just hear you say received righteousness. Now, received righteousness has like an evil twin, and that would be earned righteousness. So on this side, you have received righteousness. On this other side, you have earned righteousness. Now, received righteousness, as opposed to earned righteousness, is a radical concept. You understand that, right? Received righteousness uh, is, is the scriptural fact that, that our moral, uh, our moral um, behavior cannot contribute anything to our salvation. So that means no matter how much money you give, uh, to your church, which I would, you know, hey, give money, that's fine, fantastic, that's not gonna earn your salvation. No matter how good you live, no matter how much time you give, no, how much time, no matter how much time you spend in scripture, none of those things will earn you salvation or good standing before God the Father because that would be earned righteousness. So we see the difference? Received is you had nothing to do with it, it's by Jesus Christ alone, earned is you worked diligently at getting something and you earned that righteousness. And what's interesting about this is that scripture clearly states over and over that it is by grace through faith that we've been saved. It's not anything that we've done on our own. And that's good news, yes? Nothing that we have done on our own has earned the salvation. But this is also why received righteousness is such a radical concept in our world. It's, it's barely logical. It's, it's not really logical at all because everybody else expects you to earn their love. Doesn't, don't they? I almost said, doesn't they? Doesn't they? Don't they expect you to earn their love? Like imagine you're going out on a date. You meet the girl of your dreams. Like you gotta pay for that date, man. You know what I'm saying? You better pay for that. You better take her someplace nice and you better continue to take. And what are you doing? What are you, you're earning the right to court her. You're earning the right to date her. You're earning the right to, to, to really say like, I love you. You're earning that. Does that make sense? This is how we have operated in our life. But then enter Jesus Christ who says, no, 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 no. No, you, you, you couldn't earn this. And so because, because you couldn't earn it, I'm just, all you have to do is just receive it. And that's received righteousness. And let me show you why this is so radical. If we were to put up a graphic, just say maybe behind my head right now, of Christianity on one side, and maybe four of the, I don't know, let's just say largest other, other large world religions, you know, today, uh, maybe Islam, maybe, I don't know, Buddhism, uh, Jew, you know, Jewish um, faith, and I don't know, maybe Hinduism, yeah. Oh yeah, there you go, okay. Thank you. They made that fast. I really appreciate that. Um, 
This is, this is going to be a, an opportunity for us to see receive versus earned righteousness. So right here we have on the left-hand side, my left-hand side, we have Christianity. Under it, an icon of a cross. This cross has nothing to do with you. Now, it has everything to do with you, but, but it has nothing to do with you at the same time. The fact of the matter is there's nothing you could do to earn that. Jesus Christ gave that to you. Now, you have to receive that. That's what we call salvation. But there's nothing you could do to earn that. Now, let's fill in that. That for us is salvation, which equates to an eternity in heaven. We understand that, right? Yes, we're on the same wavelength, yeah? Okay, so that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And at the end of our time, we will spend eternity in heaven. Now, that's not unique in terms of faith or religion. Because over here in Islam, there's, there would be a heaven, there would be a hell. In Buddhism, there's a nirvana. Judaism, there's the same. In Hinduism, there's, a, there's a different heavens and different levels of torment as well. So kind of like you could look at them and say, okay, they're kind of on equal playing fields. But the problem is they're not. Christianity is the only religion. Christianity, I wouldn't say religion. It's just a relationship with Jesus. Christianity is the only uh, form of thinking in a, in, in a specific way that, that is based on received righteousness. Every other one is based on earned righteousness. If, if you're in the vein of Islam, we have this represented with weights and scales. Oftentimes, uh, an Islamic family will tell their children before they go to bed, weights and scales, weights and scales. Have you done more good than bad? Because at the end of your days, if you are a Muslim, you know this, you have to have done more good than bad. Your good must outweigh your bad. If your bad outweighs your good, if your bad deeds have outweighed your good deeds, even by one iota, you are destined for an eternity of torment. You have to earn that righteousness. If you are a Buddhist, you have to earn that righteousness. You must, you must work diligently at, at purifying yourself and cleansing yourself and, and clearing and centering and achieving nirvana through enlightenment. Very diligent, sacrificial. You must work at it. You must earn it. It literally is something that you work to earn. If you're a Jew, you are still under the law, which means you must follow the law. You know what the law is? It's a list of rules that you have to follow. You have to follow that law. And guess what? If you don't follow that law, then you cannot inherit eternal life with God. You have to earn it, man. You gotta earn that love. Oh, what about Hinduism? Maybe we don't know much about that, but the fact is Hinduism is a large world religion as well. Hindus worship thousands upon thousands of gods, each one of them requiring different types of sacrifices, some monetary, some animal sacrifices, some, some uh, food sacrifices, some are, are just different organic materials on earth that they would sacrifice. And if you do not sacrifice, not only will you not be in good standing with the gods, but you will potentially, you could potentially die. You could potentially be sick. You could potentially not be financially well off. In fact, you could be stricken with poverty or, or whatnot. That is their view. You have to work. So can I just tell you why the gospel is such good news? Because in the vein of the gospel, in the vein of Jesus Christ, he shows up and he says, no, 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 no. You don't have to work to earn this. You can't do more good than bad. You don't have to achieve a state of mind. You cannot do that with your depraved mind. You cannot keep the law. You can't even go without sinning for one day. And your sacrifices you can make can never atone for the sin in your life. Therefore, I must be the one. 
And so Jesus says, I just will give you salvation. And the only thing you have to do is to say yes and receive it. That's why the gospel is radical. That's why the gospel is unique. That's why received righteousness is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And even though I say that, so many of us today are caught in this vicious cycle of thinking we have to earn God's love. And can I tell you this morning, you need to be free from that in the name of Jesus Christ. Be free of that. You are no longer a slave to that. You are no longer a slave to that. Paul tells us here that you're no longer a slave, but you have been made free. In fact, let me hear you say that for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we've given our lives to him, let me just hear you say, I am free. Make that declaration right now. Let me hear you say, I am free. Okay, that's all right. That's all right. I'm not gonna make you do it again. I could, I could, but I won't. It's just a good Good feeling, isn't it, to say I'm free? I'm free when God views me. He doesn't look down on me and, and see sin and, and division and, and evil and, and I'm not good enough. He sees his son. He sees his child. That's a good thing. I am free. And so this is what Paul is opening up with here today. And he's asking, based on this understanding of received righteousness versus earned righteousness, he's asking a question. Look at what he says here. He says this in verse one. Paul says this, what shall we say then? Now understand, chapter five, we've just talked about, uh, we, we've just talked about who Jesus Christ is in terms of imputed righteousness. We've talked about uh, justification. And so because of that then, he builds the case on why it's important. And then now our actions based upon it start in verse six, okay? And so verse six, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace must abound? Now pause, what is Paul saying? Well, here's basically what he's asking, okay? And maybe this is a question you've asked internally, but never maybe, you know, said it out loud before. And here's the thought. I don't know if this thought's ever gone through your mind. Okay, so I couldn't earn anything. I couldn't earn my salvation. It was free. So, okay, I accepted that. I accepted Jesus. But if it was free and there's nothing that I could do to earn it, I mean, I guess I can live however I want to now then, right? Like, I should be able to do what I want to. Basically, does this free gift of grace, this free gift of salvation, does it leave the door open for immoral living? And maybe just not immoral living, but maybe just living however we want to. It's kind of that idea like you're, you're taking advantage of grace because you know grace will be there. You know what I mean? Like, well, I'm gonna do this. I know I shouldn't, but... I mean, God will forgive me, right? You ever have that thought before? And so Paul doesn't wanna dodge this question. He's addressing a church of basically young baby Christians, um, not, literal, not literal babies. This is kind of a strong concept for them, but just older, not, not mature Christians. And he says this, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might, may abound? And then in verse two, he says this. By no means. Let me hear you say by no means. That was pretty good. But, but I think if I were to kind of encapsulate the way Paul would say it, he would say it with a little more gusto. In fact, I wish we could present that some way uh, on the screen, how he kind of would say it. 
Um, to be honest with you, yeah, this is how he would have said it, okay? So I'm gonna read the question, and then I want you to answer my question. Verse one, what shall we say then? Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? Yeah, Paul is literally saying like, no, are you kidding me? Like, I've accepted Jesus now. Can I go on and sin as normal? No, what's wrong with you? That's what he's saying. By no means, man. By no means. Look at how, what he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? By no means should we take advantage of the grace. By no means should we rape the grace of Jesus Christ. By no means. You have died to sin. And if you're taking notes this morning, that's the other thing I want you to write down this morning. Those four words. I have died. No, I'm sorry. You, <laughs> hold on. You died to sin. You can't get off notes too much here. You died to sin. I have died to sin is more than four words. You died to sin. You died to sin. This is crucial to Paul's whole stance here. Look at what he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? What does that mean? Listen, I wanna answer that question. What does it mean for us to say we've died to sin? What is that? We hear that. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm, I'm free. I've died to sin. But what does that mean? Sometimes the way to answer a question is to point out what it doesn't mean, right? And so I wanna show you what it doesn't mean. It's wrong for us to say that we, are, we have died to our sin because we are no longer, like we no longer want to sin and that sin no, has no more power over us. Like our urge to sin has disappeared. It's wrong to say that, isn't it? Because let me ask you this way. Do you still have desires to sin? Yes? How many would say, I still have desires to sin? Ra raise your hand. You evil, horrible heathenistic sinners, yeah. No, 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 we, we still have desires to sin. Even for those of us who know Jesus Christ. Have you ever tried to go a day without sinning, by the way? Have you ever tried to do that? I think, I, I tried that before, and I literally made it till my feet hit the floor because I had to wake up in the morning, and that right there, enough words came out of my mouth that made my day already sinful, right? I don't know what point in the day is a sinful part for you, but even though we're dead to sin, doesn't mean that we don't have the desire to sin. Even Paul himself, he says, the things that I want to do are the things that I don't do. And the things that I should be doing are the things that I don't do. It's wrong also to say that dead to sin means we are slowly moving away from sin. That like sin is weakening in us. But understand, Paul doesn't say that we're dying to sin, does he? He says that we have died to sin. Every day you are dying more and more to sin. No, no, you are dead to sin. Now, chapter six lays this out in great detail, but today I just wanna give it to you in a nutshell, and it's this. The moment you become a Christian, and this is good, the moment that you become a Christian, you are no longer under the reign and ruling power of sin. The moment that you accept Christ is the moment that you are justified, is the moment that you are saved. That's the same moment that the ruling power and the reigning power of sin is removed from your life. And that is so important for us to understand this morning. You have died to 
Sin, Paul makes it clear. There is a death. There is something that takes place. In chapter 1, as we read before, Paul says that outside of Christ, we were given over to our sinful desires. Which means this, before we met Jesus, we couldn't do anything but sin. Even our greatest works are like filthy rags before a holy God, he says. We just, we sin, that's what we do, we sin. Then we meet Jesus. And what changes? God takes residence in our hearts. The Holy Spirit fills us. And we are now viewed different. Something literally takes place in our lives. It's not a state of mind. It's not just a state of, it is what we are now. Scripture says that we once were dead and now we are alive. We are a new creation. We have died to sin. We have died to sin. Now, I know this can be a, kind of a difficult, a difficult concept because maybe you would say like, okay, I guess I've died to sin. I've heard that forever. What does that, what does that literally mean? What, what does that look like? Let me try to explain it to you, maybe through an illustration. I hope this will help. I want you to picture, kind of in your minds, I, I just want you to picture like a kingdom, okay? At the center of this kingdom is where a king would rule and reign. So his, his kingdom is here, and then around this, this, this king's dominion right here, there's a city around it, okay, around this castle. And then around the castle, there's a, there's a great wall that surrounds this great city and this great kingdom, okay? You there? Does that make sense? And now I want you to picture that this king is evil, this is an evil king who, who has an evil army. He's a dictator. He, he literally, he dictates what people can do. He, 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 he hurts people. He enforces pain. He, he, you don't have a choice in you're going to do what he commands you to do or you will die. He pushes you to do bad things and, and corrupt things and evil things and you don't have a choice because he is ruling and reigning over you. He is the power that is. You have no choice in the matter. You understand that? Are we there? Now I want you to picture a good king and a good army. One day they roll up to the wall, they enter in, and they take back the throne from the evil king and his army. They run him outside of the town. So now where once there was an evil king and army ruling and reigning over the city, now they have been cast out of the walls and now what has taken that place is a good king and a good army and now, army, and now peace and, and restoration has come into the kingdom. There's goodness, there's, there's hope, there's life, there's love. At one time where there was death, now there's, there's life. There's celebration, there's joy. And this would be where most of us would land when we kind of illustrate what it means to become a Christian, right? Yes? But we, we shouldn't end there. Because we forget that while the, the evil king, we'll call it the evil king of self, while that evil king has been kicked out of the city, he has not yet been destroyed. So what does he do? He tries to ambush you, like any kind of enemy would. He waits outside the city walls, he and his army, to scare you, to hurt you. Now understand, he has no rule and reign over you. He one time did. One time he could dictate your actions to you. Now he can't. The, the, the rule and reign has been removed from him and replaced by a good king who loves you, 
who protects you, and you are protected in this city. But if you choose to, you could be hurt by this. You could be manipulated by this outside force. You could be swayed by this outside force. Even though it is not the ruling uh, uh, per individual and the reigning individual in your life, he's still outside the wall, so every once in a while, he'll shoot a mortar over the wall to kind of see where you are. He'll send in a, a band of thieves to try to break through those walls those walls and, and seal some stuff. He'll, he'll try to chip away at that wall. Ultimately, he can't succeed, but you could still leave the gate open for him and he'll slip right back in. Now, he can't take that power over. He, will, he is like, you know, defeated in that moment, but he's not ultimately defeated. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Do you get my point? And, and here, here's my understanding, and I'm excited about it. I feel like we should be excited about it too. What Paul is saying is sin has no dominion over you anymore. You have been set free because of the love of Jesus Christ. Where at one time sin was ruling and reigning over you, it had dominion over you. Now because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, sin has lost its power over you. It's been replaced with Jesus Christ, but here's the point. Sin can still manipulate you. You can still be hurt by sin. You can still choose to sin. You can still choose to have the effects of sin hurt your life, but the, but the point is like, you don't have to. You are not subject to that anymore. And in fact, Paul says this in verse two, pull up verse two. He says this, he says this. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So, so let me ask you the same question today. If you're no longer a slave to sin, how can we and why should we obey it any longer? Come on, think about that. If you are no longer a slave to a master, to that master, you've been set free. Why then now that you have been set free, would you still allow that master to dictate what you do with your life? You can't, you shouldn't. You don't need to. You're no longer a slave. Jesus Christ came to set you free. Some of you are running back to your, to your master, your slave owner. You're running back to slavery, pretending like he has power. You are giving him power that he does not have. When all the while Jesus has said, no, 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 man, you have power over this. See, the fact is, some of you walk in here this morning and you have addictions. I'm sure we are all given to certain addictions, right? Some addictions are a little more powerful than others. And for, so for some of us, we have addictions in our life that we just think like, well, I'm addicted. You gotta understand, man, that's sin. And my Bible tells me that we have power over sin. Are you reading the same one that I am? You see it say that we're no longer slaves to sin, which means you're no longer a slave to the addiction. You just believe that you are. You just believe that you're a slave to that sin. Some of you men, You've been addicted to things that you would be ashamed, that anybody would, you know, you'd be ashamed to share with anybody. And you think you can't hurt your marriage, it's hurt your children, it's hurt different avenues of your life, and you just think, well, this is just the way it is. No, man, it's not. You're free from that. You're supposed to be free from that. Some of you ladies, you, you struggle with certain things, and what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying here is that you're free. You don't have to. So, okay, so that, that means, Travis, that, I don't have to sin. That's exactly what it means. You don't have to sin any longer. Will you? 
Yes. <laughs> Why? Because we're human. And thank God we're also forgiven. But what I'm telling you is that we don't have to sin. We have power over sin. Jesus has power over death. We have power over sin. Are, are, you, are you getting this? This is why Paul says we've died to it. Don't allow an enemy that stands outside your gates convince you that it is ruling and raiding from the center of your city. The enemy doesn't rule you. He's just clinging on. You ever had a clinger? You know what I'm talking about? That's somebody that you dump and they just won't let it go. I'm talking about? You're dating somebody and they just cling. They're just like, they latch on to you, which is part of the reason that you broke up with them in the first place. Let's keep it real, right? And so I don't know if you've ever had that before, but you, you break up with somebody, ho hopefully very nice and, 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 you know, but they just won't let it go. Like you broke up with them, but they don't, like they haven't gotten the memo. You know what I mean? And, and, and you're like, hey, we broke up like six months ago. And they're like, no, 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 we're still together. And, and I'm still in love with you. And we're still, they tell their friends, oh yeah, that's my man. I'm gonna get married to him someday. That's my boo. And they like wink at you. And, and you're like, oh, get away. That was like six months ago. You know what I mean? And you finally have to confront that person. And you have to say, listen, I, I care about you like in, in a way that I, I you know, don't wanna be with you, but I care about you. You're a human, so I care about you. Um, but I'm over this. And you need to get over this too, because this is not happening. And what I'm saying is, if we can have that type of attitude, if we can have that gusto in a relationship with a person, why can't we do that with sin? Why can't we look sin at the face, in the face and say, man, I'm over this. I'm over you. You're not gonna have any power over me. You're not gonna influence me. For some of us, we grew up in homes where we were abused and hurt, and we need to look back into those situations and say, I'm over that. I'm not gonna allow that to dictate my relationships. I'm not gonna allow that to dictate my relationship with Jesus. I'm over that. For others of us, we have addictions right now that we need to give over to Jesus. Yes, we are his children, but we wrestle with those sins. And I'm telling you, you have the power to break those addictions. You have the power over them. And you need to look at it with some attitude and say, I am over you. I am over this. I have power over you because of Jesus Christ. And listen to me, I want you to know, Paul wants you to know, Christ wants you to know, the Holy Spirit wants you to know, God wants you to know that this is the way that you were intended to live. This is what it means to be free. This is what it means to be free. You're free from sin. You're free to walk in it and life. And so for somebody who says, well, now that I'm saved, I guess I can just do whatever I wanna do. That's somebody who is ignorant of the gospel. You know, one of the things that strikes me is really frustrating and it hurts bothers me, brings up a lot of, it angers me to a degree, I don't, I don't know, it confuses me, brings up a lot of different emotions, is somebody who will say they're in a relationship with Christ, and I'm not trying to be like pharisaical here, but just hear me out, I'm not trying to be judgmental here, but just, just hear me out, because maybe you would agree with me as well. Somebody who says they believe in Jesus Christ, but they don't live like they know Jesus Christ. Now, I know we all sin. I know we all fall. I know we all fail. I, I get that, okay? I'm just talking about somebody who prays a prayer and then leaves 
and never interacts with scripture, prayer, or the local church again. And when you say, hey man, I, I thought you like checked off that card. I thought you prayed that prayer. I thought you said you accepted Christ. Oh, I did. Oh, okay, well you wanna come? No, no, I don't gotta go to church. Oh, okay. Well, do you wanna come to my Sea Life group? We get together in different homes throughout the week. It's, you know, Sunday's just the start at our church, you know. They say that all the time at our church, you know, like, why don't you, why don't you come? No, I don't, I don't do that. I don't wanna be around those people. Okay. Was there anything I could pray? No, man, I'm good. Uh, Okay. What's different about you? And oftentimes I'll ask people who claim to be Christians what their relationship with Jesus is like. Because it's obviously not about attending a local church. It's obviously not about reading scripture. It's obviously not about talking about them. And I'll say, okay, so tell me about your relationship with Christ. Well, me and Jesus, I mean, we have a really unique, like, relationship. Like, like we really get each other. Like, it's really just, like, very deeply spiritual. Oh, okay. What's unique? Well, it's just you wouldn't get it. It's just really deep, man. Okay. Thanks for slapping me in the face. What does that actually like mean, it's just, we have our own thing, like he gets me. And it's almost like it harkens back, like remember those old t-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy, remember those? People would wear those around. And I really think that people thought that Jesus was their homeboy. Like this is my way of saying like me and Jesus were cool. Like no, I don't read scripture, no, I don't pray, no, I don't go to church, no, I'm not involved in a small group, no, I'm not sharing my faith, no, I've not changed anything, no, I've not sacrificed everything, no, I've not surrendered anything, but me and Jesus are cool. Let me just be the first one to tell you, I love you, but you and Jesus are not cool. You are not. And if you would take advantage of the grace of God in that way, it means that you are ignorant of the gospel of received righteousness. Because when somebody understands the gospel of received righteousness, you realize that there is nothing you could have done to earn God's forgiveness, and yet he gave it to you freely. Not only that, but you didn't deserve it. Let me just tell you, let me be the first one to tell you, I don't deserve the love of Jesus Christ. If I could open up my life to you, and spill out every evil thing that I have done in my life, you would be repulsed. And you would say, I agree with you, Travis. You do not deserve Jesus' love. And I think most likely, most likely all of us would be in that same boat. Would you agree? And yet God says that Jesus so loved the world that he sent his only son. And scripture tells us that even while we were in the middle of sinning, Christ died for us. Before the very foundations of the world were laid, he knew your name. He called you by name. He chose you. Chose to save you. How? Could we ever take advantage of that grace? How could we ever? By no means. By no means. Thank you for listening to this message from our series, No Longer Slaves, at Covenant Church. We hope you were impacted by what you heard today. If you would like to invest in life change through this ministry, feel free to visit us online at covenantchurch.us forward slash give.